give a nod to Pastor Tom. He'll come on kind of a welcome slide for you. Great. And, and then Pastor Tom will do about a five-minute meditation. And on the next verse three, we have another lighting. Great. And then Pastor Tom does another. The first tree. It's in the Garden of Eden where God made all things perfect, and he placed those first human beings, Adam and Eve. And in that garden, there was a tree, a tree that was called knowledge of good and evil. A tree whose fruit was forbidden. A tree where the tempter came. A tree where Adam and Eve ate that fruit and sinned. That's the tree we look at first, the tree where sin first came into the creation. But there's two things I want us to note about that tree in particular, okay? The first thing that we see when we see that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we see that when sin came into the world, it came as an offense against God. That's good for us to reflect upon tonight. We think of sin in so many different ways. Perhaps we think of sin as a list of rules of things we're not supposed to do, right? Laws that we have to keep. Maybe we think of sin as the wrong that we do against other people, the things that cause other people harm, pain, sorrow, brokenness. We think of sin in all those different ways. Neil Plantinga, in his book about sin, called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, tries to define sin, and he wraps it up in one phrase. He says, sin is the violation of shalom. That when God created everything good, when he created this earth without any sin, it was a world in which there was Shalom, that Hebrew word that we often translate as peace, but shalom refers to the flourishing of all creation, the thriving of all creation in all of its perfect goodness, the way that God created and intended for it to be. When sin came into the world, that shalom was forever violated, broken. And it was an offense to God that the sin into which you and I were born, which we carry in our human nature, is offensive to God. We remember at that first tree that God's perfect righteousness and his perfect justice demands that the violation of shalom, which we continue to carry in our lives today, must be paid for. There must be an atonement for that. That's the first thing we see at this tree. The second thing we see at this first tree is this, that Adam and Eve reacted with shame. They tried to hide the very first thing that they noticed after they ate that forbidden fruit was that they had no clothes on and they were ashamed. 
and tried to cover themselves. All of that, the Bible's way of telling us that they were now bare before God for God to see them for everything they truly were. And they could not hide it. They could not cover that up. The sin that stained their hearts now is something that could not be hidden. But they tried. They tried hiding in the garden. They tried to just slip away and forget about it. But what does God do? God comes looking. God searches for Adam and Eve. Yes, their sin was bare for God to see. It's not as though they could really hide from God. Of course God knew perfectly well what they had done. God knew perfectly well where they were. But God was not content to let them stay there. God was not content to let the sin that now stained his perfect creation stay that way. So instead of just waiting to see, maybe, if Adam and Eve will eventually come looking for help, no, God took the first step. God came looking for them. The first reaction to the first sin was a move that God made to come after his broken creation. That way back there in Genesis, God set into motion already then a plan to redeem, to restore, to come after those that are lost and broken and trying to hide and stay away but cannot cover up who it is we truly are before God. God comes and seeks us out. And he said, in the course of action of revealing that sin, he said what the consequences would be. Consequences for Adam, consequences for Eve, consequences that we bear and carry yet today, but also consequences for the serpent, the deceiver, Satan, the tempter. Consequences that he put this way when he told the deceiver, you may strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Already looking ahead to where that next tree would come along. That reminder, our sin, the sin we have, is an offense against God. But God comes looking for you. The second tree. 
This time, instead of going back to the very beginning of the story, let's fast forward all the way to the end of the story. Where is all of this going? In Revelation chapter 22, the Apostle John, who writes Revelation, sees a vision of the new Jerusalem, the recreated heaven and earth. And in that new Jerusalem, John sees a picture of a throne room, the throne room where the Lamb of God is seated. And in that throne room where God is seated, there's a river that flows out of it. And next to that river is a tree, the tree of life. The tree of life that is abundant for all of God's creation. John sees this picture coming, that this is what the restored, redeemed creation will look like. In that picture of that new Jerusalem, John notes for us that there's not any sun or moon, and there's not any day or night. There's no need for a sun because God's glory is so radiant in that place that God himself radiates light. So it's always daytime in the radiant glory of God that shines in that place. And in that place, before that throne, John gives us a picture of worship. That there is continual worship to the Lamb that was slain. Honor and glory and praise to God in that place. That there is forever shouts of joy overflowing in that place. This past Sunday, we looked at a passage from Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 that reminded us within that passage that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We need to let that one sink in a little bit. Because here's what we do. Our automatic reaction is, well, yes, we take all that joy, and where do we place it? We place that joy on Easter with an empty tomb. That's where we put the joy, but the writer of Hebrews doesn't put it there. The writer of Hebrews puts the joy at the cross. That seems wrong, doesn't it? The cross, this this place of suffering and anguish, this place where Jesus bled and died for us, where is the joy in that? It does not seem like a joyful picture. And so we fast forward to that second tree, the tree of life, the tree by the throne which radiates light nonstop because of God's glory. And we remember then that God did what he did, that Jesus came and gave himself for us with a sacrifice that we could never make ourselves, that God did that because 
of joy. You see, it expresses something about the love of God. And we know that God is loving. But it reminds us then that the love which God has for his people is not a love that is stuck to an obligation. It's not as though God said, well, I guess I have to do this now. God chose to do it. God chooses to love his broken people in his creation. It is an overflow of his love to come and redeem his broken people. It is an overflow of his glory to come be present with his broken people. It is an overflow of the glory of his joy to redeem his broken people. There is a glimpse of joy even at the cross because it reminds us of the overflow of God's glory and his love which comes to the cross with him. Maybe some could ask, well, why didn't God just snap his fingers and make sin go away? Why did it have to be this brutal sacrifice? God's justice demands that there be a penalty. And God knew in his wisdom, God knew in his wisdom that anyone at all who could step in and take that place and take that penalty on behalf of us, anyone who could do that would be worthy of the most worship that could ever be given in response. So God knew, as only God is worthy of worship, that only God could step in and take our place. So we worship God then with the joy that overflows in his love at the cross. And then the third tree. So we see where the story began all the way back in Genesis, in Eden, at a tree called Knowledge of Good and Evil. We see where the story comes to its culmination in the throne room of God at a tree called the Tree of Life. But today, on this week, we come to another tree, a tree on a hill called Calvary tree we call the cross, a tree on which our Savior, Jesus, was stretched out and nailed and bled and died. Something happens at this tree. Something happens at this tree which takes everything of that first tree and everything of that second tree and pulls them together and a crashing moment, that all of these trees collide in this one space at the cross. Because everything of that first tree, the tree which for us holds sin and death and suffering, everything of that was brought to the cross. 
our sin, our death, was brought to the cross. And everything of God's glory, his righteousness, his joy, everything that was rightfully his, he brought to the cross. And when those things collide at the cross, all of the sin and the death that's ours, Jesus takes. And all of the righteousness and joy that was his, he gives. There's an exchange, a swap that takes place there at the cross. Sin and death, joy and life, traded. That Jesus takes our sin and he gives his perfect righteousness at the cross. It's not just a picture or a metaphor. It actually happened. Jesus was actually born in this world, lived in this world. Jesus was actually crucified, executed by Roman soldiers. Those are real events, which means the exchange of our sin for his righteousness was a real event. It took place, it happened. And there's something in that event in which all of us were there. We were there at that tree, at that cross, because it was our sin that was taken there. It was our brokenness that was taken to the cross. And it was that perfect righteousness of Christ that was given to you there at that place, even before we were ever born, before you or I ever existed, that event took place and that exchange happened. And we were there, which is why scripture says we have been united with Christ. The apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul explains that swap perfectly there, doesn't he? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, our sin, so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. What happens at that tree, the cross, forever changes who we are. Because even though broken sinners that we remain, in God's eyes, before God, we now wear the righteousness of Christ. We are made perfect before God by his perfection, by what Christ has done for us. The cross is where that happens. 
So it's good in this week that we pause and remember the cross and how we are united with Christ at that tree.